0: Now introducing the Minor
1: Wisdom Trio! Minor
0: Wisdom!
1: I'm exhausted. Uh, We opened our show last night as I record this. It's Saturday. Uh, And I'm just really, really tired. I turned up the volume there. I think it helps. But um, I've really enjoyed being in the show, but I'll get to that in a second. Right now I want to talk about Eddie Cavazos. Eddie... Uh, was kind enough to come on the episode. Nice. Uh, I interviewed him this week, actually. So, you know, for those of you that aren't paying attention, I do most of my interviews in one big chunk. So, uh, you know, things, there there's some interviews that are eight weeks old, 10 weeks old when they are released, 10 weeks from when I recorded them. Um, uh, but this one was, this is a fresh one. And I, Kind of f- slowly fell in love with Eddie uh, via our little Google Meets chat. I just really enjoyed his energy and the the amount of passion. Like it just came through the screen. Um, he would be one of those people that you could learn from via Zoom uh, during the COVID times. I bet he was just as, if not more, effective because you could you could literally. I know it sounds dumb, hyperbole a little bit, but you could feel the the energy and passion that he had for what he was talking about through the screen. And, uh, it was just really, really fun. I'm not going to lie there's Sometimes when people will do their intro, their background, you know, 15, 20 minutes, whatever it might be, there's no wrong answer as I always tell them. And sometimes I get lost in a negative way. And like, I start to, to, to sort of start thinking about things that I need to personally do without staying engaged in what the person is saying. This was not one of those instances um i hung on every word man i just i wanted to hear everything he had to say and just his energy was infectious and it was just great so hopefully that comes through in the just audio format of course because i was able to see him when he was speaking and i don't do video because then i would have some teachers that would be like well i need to get done up right and it would limit even more so the times that i would be able to interview them but sometimes. Some teachers come on here looking an absolute trifling mess, and um, but they don't care because it's just me, and uh, I'm not going to name names. Uh, but then they wouldn't look a trifling mess if I did video. But I know that that would open up more, a bigger audience. But that's not my thing anyway. So we opened the Drowsy Chaperone last night. It runs next week. If you're interested in coming to see it, it is very funny. It is mostly adults. This is a kids, mostly kids theater, class act theater. In the woodlands, uh, they were founded on on children's theater and and do not children's theater, but children doing theater, uh, and sort of have evolved into uh, using adults in a lot of their shows. And so this particular show, The Drowsy Chaperone, is mostly adults, and they're like talented adults. We've got people that came from the Texas Tech Theater of Music or music, Theater of Music uh, College of Music. Uh, we have some. Uh, graduates from SAM. We have uh, people from just, you know, it's theater people. It's not people that like doing theater and are something else on the side. These are like theater people, performers, you know? Um, So it's really fun. Minus me, of course. Uh, I'm a theater person, but I'm not much of a performer. Although people have been giving me my flowers figuratively, not literally yet. Anyway, uh, but it's been fun. I'm just very, very tired It's exhausting to do shows, exhausting to do shows. I want to congratulate everybody, those of you that have finished school. I think there may be a handful of people. I don't think they're in Texas, though. I feel like Texas is all done. I feel like Texas enjoys their Memorial Day weekend and tries to get kids out and and teachers out of school before Memorial Day because yeehaw, let's fire up guns in the air and wave our flags and all that kind of stuff. Go, Texas. But, um, uh, I think most people are done. We had our graduation at Cooper. Uh, AJ Hinch was there. Yep. Beat that trash can. And, um, it's, uh, you know, we're done. Uh, I have to go back next week for like two hours and then I'm a, I'm a, I'm a free man. And, uh, then I start back up focusing on the commerce program. Um, but congrats to those people that are done. Those people that are leaving and getting new jobs. I've seen a lot of that online. Uh, hopefully your grass is greener. Hopefully you have found a place that you like more, or uh, that suits your lifestyle more gooder. But uh, you know, um, those of you that that uh, are staying where you are, good for you. Uh, that's a hypocritical thing for me to say, right? Um, but uh, but yeah, I'm I'm excited to see what what this summer holds. It's going to be unique. This is my last summer off. Because I don't start with covenant until August one, I've already started talking to people about things that they need in their space, and I'm ready to talk to you. Right? Uh, it just it just doesn't officially go to me, uh, which is not a problem until August first. Uh, and I know, as I say often, my monotone voice would not lead you to believe this, but I'm quite excited to be starting. And i'm ready to start now uh i've made that very clear to katie there's nothing she can do about it and there's nothing i can do about it it's my schedule with the commerce thing but i'm ready to start today uh because i just i'm like very excited about this job this particular gig so uh and i'm i'm looking forward to kind of growing uh, you know get some covenant tattoos maybe change my middle name to Blake Covenant Minor, something i don't know man uh but just to show that i'm i'm ready to go i'm fired up uh that's enough that's enough talking uh enjoy this Eddie Cavazos interview he just won state so that's really why i had him on that's one thing i forgot to mention is normally i do the 12 directors that advanced to state i didn't do that this year i literally i just didn't have the time to do it i could have done a, i could have had a time to do a handful but uh, I wanted to keep that 12 number if I was going to do it, and uh, I, it just didn't work. So I decided to reach out to Eddie, reached out to another winner. Uh, I haven't set that interview up yet, but, uh, but uh, Eddie got on, and um, you'll figure out why he's probably going to succeed for a lot longer than just this one year. So uh, enjoy the interview. Have a great week. Leave a review. All that good stuff. Bobby, thanks for coming to my show.
0: So my name is Erika Vasos, and I am the head theater director and speech coach, as well as the UIL academic coordinator um, at Harlingen High School South. And I'm also the director of musical theater at the Harlingen Performing Arts Conservatory. Um, I'm in my third year of teaching. And yeah, so a little bit about me, my kind of passion for performance developed very early on. I joined my elementary school choir in kindergarten and had the opportunity to sing my first solo at a Christmas pageant, it was Silent Night. And that is, I is—I i wouldn't say one of my first core memories, but definitely a very prominent core memory in the sense that as a child, I loved attention. So anytime I was able to get attention, that was great. And even at that age, I was able to take note of the progression of like walking up in front of a room full of adults, singing this song and like watching the room go quiet. And I was just obsessed with the idea of taking up space, um, having the attention on me and causing a shift of sorts, right, whether it's, oh, look at that cute plump angel, Um, I was dressed as an angel. I'm also an angel, but I was dressed as an angel. And uh, so, yeah, I I was able to look at that and, and enjoy the responsibility and the power that that came with. And so that was kind of my first like bite at performance. And so that continued to develop in elementary school. I did like oral reading contests. It wasn't specifically UIL, but we had oral reading and interpretation contests in our elementary school and district levels. And then that continued on with choir and theater. Um, And in fifth grade, I had, throwback to when I had a girlfriend in the fifth grade, um, a girlfriend, Michelle, if you're listening, hey, girl. um, And she (laughs) was trying to get me to join a local community theater, which was called the Tower Theater of Westlaco. That's where I'm from, Westlaco, Texas, uh, about 10 minutes from the border of Mexico. And so... I joined and it was honestly the best decision I'd made at that point in my young life just to be able to surround myself with like-minded individuals, specifically like-minded children. I don't think it was until that point that I'd been able to connect with people my age who were enthusiastic about the arts and theater and performing. And then I met two very significant women there. There was a mother-daughter duo who ran the Civic Theater of ago. It was Shirley Atkins and Risa Morris. And Shirley Atkins would play for all of the musicals. We had piano, uh, percussion, and sometimes a trumpet. Um, and so she would play all of the music, and she saw something in me, and decided to pour her abundance of wisdom into my cup. And she gave me my first voice lessons, my uh, piano lessons. And this was all just out of the kindness of her heart. I didn't have really the means to be able to afford that. Um, But she set aside time to help me cultivate those skills at a deeper level, like learning how to read music and fundamentals in that way. Um, And Risa Morris, her daughter, who took over more of the acting side of things. And she was super significant in my life. Um, I have a very supportive mother and family, but she was kind of like another mother who was able to nurture me in that kind of atmosphere, right? So my mom, who has always just been blindly supportive, um, didn't really know at the time much about theater or the arts, but she supported me, right? So to have someone who like, this was their specialty and could support me in very specific ways, was super, super important to me in my adolescence and uh, was the foundation for my artistic compass, if you will, um, and my work ethic within the arts. These women did so much. They did costumes. They did music. They did programming. They picked the season. They did auditions. And it was just like all of these kids who would get dumped at this theater. It was in an abandoned water tower. Um, And so every summer, these kids would get dropped off for hours and hours and hours on end for this program. It was so incredible. Um, And so, yeah, I learned a lot about collaboration at a very early age from these people. I learned a lot about the importance of theater. I learned a lot about compassion, uh, about patience, just very, very valuable skills that even now as a theater teacher, um, I have sort of my quote unquote, regular theater classes, if you will. And not everybody wants to be a stage performer and that's totally fine, but I try to explain to my students that you can still get so much out of theater that will shape you as a person, hopefully for the better. And so these were two women who were very, very um, important to me in my life. Uh, through that, uh, I continued at the Tower Theater of ago from fifth grade all the way up until I left for grad school. Um, so in different capacities, of course, um, but in my seventh grade year, I met a gentleman by the name of John Farr, who was a guest director and he was, uh, a full-time director at Harlingen South, which is ironically where I'm at now. Um, we'll get to the significance of that a little later, but that was a very significant moment for me in my life in the seventh grade, because it was when I started to come to terms with my sexuality. This is even before I knew what gay was, right? Um, And seeing, once I was able to connect those dots, I developed, because of where I lived, a very toxic relationship with the idea of being a queer person. And so there was a lot of internalized homophobia that came with that, and a lot of things that I don't feel any child should have to navigate or deal with, right? But then I saw and met and worked with John Farr, who was this larger than life, uh, literally and (laughs) spiritually person who was just so unabashedly themselves. And he identified as gay and seeing him be the focal point of a room by just being himself again, reckon back to this like kindergarten version of myself where it was like, Oh, this is someone who has so many similar traits as me and is like, Everyone's obsessed with him. Everybody thinks his ideas are brilliant. Everybody wants to know his opinion on what's being done, whether it's behind the scenes with the technical elements or on stage. So many people just felt the urge to please him because of the energy and the spirit that he led with. And that was so important for me to see at that age, just a queer person who was um, put on this pedestal and celebrated. And so he was a very integral person in my life as well. That was right around middle school. And while I was doing the Tower Theater of Wessico all throughout my childhood, I started to get into theater at my middle school, which was Central Middle School. And my director there was, at the time, Araceli Cabasso, no relation, um, now Araceli Navarro. And she was another person who I met her in her first year of teaching. And so I think, and I had a very similar thought too, I remember when I became a teacher, I was like, okay, so yesterday I was only responsible for myself, but now it feels like moving forward, the impending doom or joy of 40 plus kids is resting on my shoulders. So, and I I don't agree with that now, right? But I think she had a very similar mentality in the sense that when you get a teacher who's in their first year, I feel like some of those relationships that you cultivate are just a little more special in the sense that they're your first, right? So you're, you're working with these kids in this way. That's so um, we're giving so much of ourselves. It really lent itself towards creating such a special bond. So she's someone in my life who gave me permission to be myself, encouraged me to be myself, celebrated everything that made me uniquely me. And yeah, it was, it was the first time I'd seen someone in that way, in a public school setting, um, celebrate the things that other people would laugh at me for. Um, so that was super, super impactful. And so she was someone who was very important to me so that all of these people who inspired me along the way, very early on in my life, um, gave me the urge and the passion and the desire to want to continue with theater and performance. And so once I got to high school, unfortunately it wasn't the healthiest of Um, environments. I didn't really uh, gel with the theater director. So I found other ways to express myself. I'd already been involved with choir, but I kind of dove into choir like wholeheartedly and then just kept performing at the civic theater um, during the summers and things of that nature. We would do Christmas shows as well. And so I was super involved with choir, And I joined um, my junior year, my senior year, excuse me, I was named uh, to the Texas All-State Mixed Choir. So that was a really cool experience. And that was another experience where I was surrounded by these like-minded individuals who were so passionate about their craft, albeit music, but still within the arts, of course. And making the All-State Choir opened up a ton of doors for me just as I was getting ready to go to college. So with my involvement in choir, I decided that I wanted to continue to perform, but I really loved singing, right? So I wanted to specifically pursue a music degree. And because of making the Allstate Choir, I was able to go to Texas A&M University in Kingsville with pretty much a full ride, which was like so awesome. I had some great teachers there, Ken Williams, Melinda Brew, these really amazing people who helped me cultivate and own in on my, my music skills. And it's a very rigorous music program. So there I took eight semesters of music theory. I took six semesters of piano, um, eight semesters of applied voice. I performed in musicals on campus. Um, I performed in operas. I was fortunate enough to sing Tamino and the magic flute as an undergrad, which was so incredible. Um, and I continued to cultivate my musical skills, but I'd been missing uh, performing in theater, right? And always kind of came back to theater for me. So uh, kind of a full circle moment, I was able, through my connection with Teresa Morris at the Tower Theater of Wesco, her stepdaughter, Ginger Morris, uh, looked over Summerstock Austin, which was like a professional program or it intermixed uh, high school and college age students with professionals and kind of allowed us to see what the professional the- theatrical world um, encompassed. And it made it accessible in a way that was really exciting at the time. So I did that for a summer that was super, super, inspiring. I met a lot of cool people. I got glimpses into, again, what the professional world looked like. And I was like, well, this is something that I'm like wanting to do for sure. So started to pull back more and more on opera and leaned back into theater, specifically musical theater. And what nobody tells you when you get a music degree, specifically in performance, is that the expectation is that you'll go right into grad school um, just to continue developing those skills, And so I kind of followed with that trend. I knew that I wanted to pursue theater, but I didn't feel like my toolbox was as uh, as all encompassing as it needed to be just because i had been focusing specifically on classical voice. So when I was researching these programs, I stumbled across the MFA in musical theater program at the Boston Conservatory. So I kind of put all of my eggs in one basket and I went to Boston for my audition. It was an amazing experience being in a city like that. I'd never ever really lived in a big city. So that was cool. I remember getting there and the first thing I saw was two guys holding hands and I I had a moment where I was, um, shocked and I was like, Oh wait, like, I guess that's fine here. So just like, like that's how disconnected I was from the rest of the world spending most of my life in South Texas. Um, So I decided to go there. Uh, I was one of 14 who was accepted into that program, and it was a two-year, five-semester program. So I moved to Boston in the summer of 2013 and just immersed myself in the culture. I learned so much from an industry perspective. I learned so much, even with a music degree, about my voice and manipulating my voice in a way that lends itself to singing in a variety of genres. Um, I learned so much about acting and dance. That was something that for me was always a big disconnect in theater. I um, had always dealt with body image issues and weight fluctuations. So I was never able to feel comfortable in my skin. Right. And it wasn't until I got to grad school where I had a dance teacher by the name of Rachel Bertone, who is uh, very, very special to me. And she, she looked at me in class and she said, no, you're a dancer. I used to get frustrated when I couldn't, pick up a technical aspect of dance, right? Or couldn't remember a combo, or I just felt like some of the moves that people were doing looked different on my body. And to me, that meant less than. And so she was really able to help me as an adult, uh, change my learned behaviors of like, no, you can identify as a dancer at any size. You can identify as a dancer, regardless of your abilities. She looked at things more of the perspective of, internalizing the music and using the music the same way an actor would use lines to uh, communicate a story. So kind of looking at things from that perspective I also gained a deeper appreciation for dance. It was at the conservatory my first year I was able to perform in a student choreographed uh, showcase, which was really cool for me. My second year, I was a student choreographer. So that growth was like apparent there. I've also been the kind of person who I'm very extreme. So regardless of what I'm doing, I'm going to do like do it 150%. So I was just all in, right? All in the culture. I did my senior showcase or my graduate showcase um, in New York. I picked up some representation and then I moved to New York in... 2015. And I started kind of that pathway as a artist performer. And there was a lot of 5am non-ec open calls waiting in the snow all day to just get turned away. Um, At the end of the day, I did a number of side hustles and side gigs to support myself. Uh, my first job in the city, I worked at Schmackeries, which is a cookie store. <laughs> and so that was great because I was not making money, but I was able to take home cookies to eat definitely gaining 20 pounds, but, uh, survived. And so that was cool. I would always try to find jobs that would check multiple boxes as well as making money, just working smarter not harder in some ways. Right. Um, I worked as a Manny for a company called Broadway babysitters, which specialized in uh, quality care for Broadway stars. So I was like, great, this can be a great way to network. Um, I started to really want to work on myself physically. So at first I started working at a front desk at a spin studio and through that would get, uh, free spin classes and developed a healthy obsession with indoor cycling. Um, and so I continued on that trajectory as I was auditioning, um, in New York to work regionally. And I did work regionally. I I went all around, uh, the country doing regional shows and things of that nature. I spent, a summer in Aspen, working at Theater Aspen. I worked um, at the Art Center of Coastal Carolina. I did some theater in Pennsylvania. I did uh, theater all over, really. I went back to Boston for a production of The Little Mermaid right out of grad school. So I was in New York auditioning to get out of New York to then do those shows, build my resume, meet people and continue along my journey. Um, so I was doing that for a while. It became very taxing. I will say I took lots of classes and tried to keep things fresh, but New York city can make you jaded in some ways. Um, and so in about 2018, I decided that I was going to not take a step back, but take, an intermission of sorts, if you will, and kind of uh, look into exploring other passions that I developed from working at the front desk of the spin studio. Again, a very extreme person. I went on a weight loss journey, but I'm not the kind of person who's going to just go on a weight loss journey. I went on a weight loss journey and became a fitness instructor, extreme. Um, So I became an indoor cycling instructor and a Pilates instructor. And so I was doing that to supplement income while I got back into auditioning, which was great. Then Rachel Bertone, uh, one of my dance teachers from the conservatory in 2018, reached out. And she had thought of me for a project that she was heading at the Lyric uh, Theater of Boston. Uh, She was doing Kiss of the Spider Woman. And so I went in for that and read for the role of Molina and ended up getting that, which got me my equity card. Um, So that was a pretty monumental moment as well. Also a show that, in a number of ways in my life has continued to come up and has been the show that keeps on giving. That's where I was able to unpack and begin my, um, exploration with gender identity and things of that nature and political theater. Um, and how that is just as powerful and meaningful as the good old classics that we know and love. Right. Um, the importance of representation. It's interesting to like, think back to when I was living in South Texas, when you look around and everybody looks just like you, you're really turned off and disconnected from the lack of representation that's happening outside of your community. But as I got older, left the Valley and, um, developed a point of view as an artist and an adult i was like oh there's a lot of issues here right <laughs> a lot of uh disproportionate representation or lack of representation for some groups altogether um so yeah i was able to kind of develop a clear point of view um artistic compass if you will through that show um so i i'd been like i said working non union before that and then getting my equity card kind of changed trajectory of the kinds of auditions that I was being seen for, the kinds of shows that I was being seen for, the people that I was able to connect with. And so I was still hitting the audition grind, um, getting into the room for some really cool uh, works, um, newer works. I developed a new musical called uh, Manuel versus the Statue of Liberty, um, which ironically enough, the playwright who I ended up working with, we'd never met before, after several years later, I did an Ancestry DNA and it turns out that we're like third cousins, which it's like, what are the odds? Uh, but yeah, so that was a significant time in my life as well. And then cut to after grad school, I started to do um, this is where I started to dabble in education in the sense that I would do like private voice lessons. Um, there's a local theater company called all-star theater run by Joel Garza, who has revolutionized theater for young audiences in South Texas. Um, he's creating such a rich, rich legacy with that program. And so I'd worked with him before and he's been really great when I was living in New York, anytime I was at home in the Valley, he would bring me in for consultant work, right? Whether that was teaching some stuff on the piano, uh, teaching voice parts, it's something that I can do, whether it was working, acting, scene work, um, or doing choreography. After my time in the conservatory, I kind of started to brand myself of a jack of all trades in terms of being a performer, right? That was something that I um, really, really spent that, that time in Boston doing was sharpening those other skills, right? Um, so being able to work in that capacity was really cool, and then through that, in 2019, my middle school, my middle school theater director Araceli Navarro, um, reached out because she was back in the school district that brought her up, which was Harlingen, working with her high school director Leanne Ince, who was now who I would soon find out when I was working as a middle schooler with John Farr at the Tower Theater of Westego and he was at Harlingen South, he was working alongside Leanne Itz, teaching my middle school director. Like, so it's like a very full circle, right? Um, Leanne had since moved on to be the fine arts coordinator for the district. She worked alongside Sally and they were starting this program called the Harlingen Performing Arts Conservatory. It was in its first year. And what they were focused on at the time was bringing in uh, an assortment of guest artists, if you will. So people within the industry who had either worked professionally or had gone to programs that they could then come to impart wisdom on these students. Um, And it was like an audition based program. And so they brought me in to act as a guest director and choreographer for their production of In the Heights um, in 2019. And so I came and I did that. They flew me down for a week to set the show and work a lot of big group numbers. And then I went back to New York and then they flew me down the week of tech to space the show on stage and tech the show. And I got to see the opening performance, which was really cool. And in that process, that's when I first met Leanne Ince. And she uh, immediately was trying to get me to abandon my life in New York, move back to South Texas and become a theater teacher, which at the time I had absolutely no interest in doing. Um, I was living my life uh, in New York, coming into my own, uh, working as a fitness professional, uh, working as a professional actor, getting those equity jobs that were um, enticing uh, from a monetary perspective, which... If you don't know the, I mean, maybe you do the The pay from non-union work to union work is extremely disproportionate. Um, so, yeah, I was kind of reaping the benefits of, of getting my equity card and, and being a consummate professional in that way. And so I shut that idea down. Fast forward to 2020 when everything changed and the world uh, went on pause. I was in New York when the pandemic started and I saw saw the industry shut down. I saw the fitness industry shut down. So I was kind of just stuck in my apartment for some time um, on unemployment. I started um, teaching fitness classes from my apartment and uh, supplementing some income in that way. But I was in New York from March of 2020 all the way up until August. And it wasn't until like end of July, Leanne reached out again and was like, hey, so I know the world is kind of at a standstill right now. What's going on with you? We have an official opening. And... um. Something in me kind of, other than obviously the world was on pause, something in me was like, you need to, you need to seize this opportunity and, and see what you can get from it. Right. So I decided to move back to the Rio Grande Valley, um, to Harlingen, which is about 20 minutes away from where I'm originally from. Um, and this is where I've been. I've been here. This is my, I'm finishing my third year of teaching, which is insane. And I came on within my first year as the theater director, a speech coach, uh, academic coordinator kind of came with the position. So that worked its way in that way. And then um, they really got me in the door with my involvement through the conservatory. I was given the title of uh, director of musical theater of the Performing Arts Conservatory, which meant that I was overseeing the musicals um, and collaborating in the plays as well. And the conservatory is a conglomerate of both high schools. Uh, after lunch we kind of the kids are bussed to a separate facility where we uh, work more in depth on on their skills and, and cultivating those skill sets singing acting, dancing there's separate tracks. there's a technical theater track, a theater track, a musical theater track and a dance track. So uh working within those specific disciplines for kids who are serious about cultivating those skills. Some of these kids want to pursue this professionally. So it's just providing them with that space to, uh, make those discoveries and explore their craft. Um, so yeah, this, that's where I've been for three years. Wow.
1: Uh, that is a heck of a story. (laughs) So I got to check this one off first. I've, I've had ginger Morrison. I love ginger. Um, yeah, she's she's good people, but uh, enough about her. Um, so, <laughs> but yeah, she's she's really great. I enjoy seeing her and talking to her, and she's always just a great energy. But um, sure. so, I guess my first obvious question, uh, f- coming from the New York sort of Boston, you know, New England area, I guess, quote unquote, uh, leaving the valley, going to that area, coming back to the valley, and you even alluded to it as far as, like, you grew up not knowing there were other things out in this world because you had kind of, uh, for lack of better words, been in the valley bubble, I guess, if you will. So um, what is it that you have already seen from your influence that you've kind of brought from your uh, knowledge expansion? And then what is it that you kind of want to keep working on to sort of alert these kids to say, you know i know right now it looks like you're amongst you know a, a world of just you but really there's a world of just uh, as as a great philosopher said pure imagination um uh so what is it that kind of that that short goal and then the kind of the long term goal
0: you know it's been interesting my biggest fear coming back to south texas was feeling that i would have to dull my shine, if you will. Right. And the time that I'd spent away from South Texas, I feel was when I came into my own on all fronts, uh, gender identity, sexuality, gaining an appreciation for my physical self, changing my mentality, because regardless of how you identify in the Latinx culture, there is this embedded toxic masculinity, machismo mentality that is just at our core, right? So undoing all of that. And then my biggest fear was coming back and feeling like an outsider and feeling like I'd have to revert back to that, those ideologies or again, dull my shine. Um, I made sure that that wasn't the case. And what I found was that just as existing as myself, it started to be seen as um, as activism in some ways, right? It's like, oh my gosh, like, the theater teachers wearing nail polish. And and to me that seems so minute, but for, um, for, pe- for other teachers within my uh, district and for some of my students, I felt the urge to be myself because I felt like it would give them permission to do the same, right? We talk about leading by example, practice what you preach. Um, so that's always been something that I've been really, really focused on doing. And so I took it as an opportunity to take what I'd learned um, and bringing that back to South Texas, I felt like could, was what was going to be that set me apart, right? In terms of elevating the program that I was joining, um, bringing something to it that was different because it's the thing Harlingen has has a rich, rich history of success in UIL, in speech and debate, we're a big speech and debate school, Um, so I, instead of changing things, I was just more focused on what I could bring that I developed a deeper understanding of to enhance. Um, so that was really, really cool for me. Uh, getting to do that, and then getting to connect with my students, right? So you talk about being in high school in like 2005, which, which I was, versus in 2023, like it is night and day. There's Kids today are just so much more accepting and open to people who are different. But still within that, I still have students who feel at times marginalized or unheard or not seen, right? And of course, that's valid, um, so when you only know what you know, I think the the i the ideologies that you implement within yourself are are still fundamental, right? So, I tell my students, I remind them daily that they are catalysts for change. That's the verbiage that I use, that we at our core, if we the sooner we can develop a point of view on everything that's going on around us, the second you're able to look past yourself and, connect with what's going on outside of the world your world and develop a point of view that is rooted in who you are that you are already a catalyst for change and how that can then bleed into the work that we do the the theatrical work that we do and um our speech and debate platforms and so I, i really really wanted to work under the guise that um i was a safe space for my students i had that very early on but in high school that wasn't the case and so there was some trauma for myself that was unlocked coming back to be a high school teacher too. In that sense of like, Oh, like I didn't realize like these conversations that I had with like, um, these individuals within this other school district were, had caused this much damage, I guess you could say, um, which maybe sounds a little loaded, but it is what it is. Right. Uh, so then asking myself, okay, I have no real educational experience. How can I develop, (laughs) Um, like an educational mindset or like how, what kind of teacher do I want to be? Right. And so looking back at the experiences that I had in high school and what I wish I had and trying to live up to that every single day is kind of how I approach teaching and my, yeah. and develop the teaching philosophy. Um, yeah.
1: Okay. So I don't know who they are, but they say that after three years, you kind of know what type of teacher you're going to be and you get a little more comfortable and confident. So are you there?
0: <laughs> I, think, I think in some ways, yes. Okay. And I think in some ways I, for myself, it's important to keep things fresh yeah. because I know that the second I have a set routine for absolutely everything that I'm doing, I'm going to get bored with what I'm doing. Right. And I really do enjoy my job and I love my students. I'm not a parent, but sometimes it feels like I am. And, um, yeah, so yes and no, I feel more settled in like, I'm not drowning mm-hmm. in paperwork. I know who the people are that I need to butter up. Right. <laughs> um, I know I, so, yes, I, I teacher hacks, if you will. But, um, I pride myself on keeping some level of freshness and newness to every school year, every production experience. Um, that's a little bit of what I feel my special sauce is.
1: okay yeah, good. so and you mentioned the the energy and spirit. I don't remember exactly uh, the the exact verbiage you used, but you mentioned the the gentleman that was uh, kind of your almost your first exposure to uh, a a gay man that had that owned a room, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Do you, is that kind of like almost your sort of philosophy? Is that kind of your, do you kind of keep that in the back of your head? Like when you walk into a room, this is the kind of presentation I need to have.
0: 100%. And I think it's less about having a presentation and more about
1: authenticity. Authenticity. right.
0: Yeah. That's good days and bad days. Um, That's something that I try to instill in my students too. It's okay to have, an array of feelings and it's experience those in a way that's genuine, right? Because it allows us to um, not only understand ourselves, but give ourselves fully in a way that's still healthy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think navigating those, those highs and lows, I think are important to just bringing who you are to the room and to your work and regardless of what the interaction is, just like tapping into who you are authentically and understanding that that can change day to day and that's okay. And that's kind of the, the freedom that, and the, and the privilege that we get to, to experience as humans. Yes. But that's where, that's where I get into the overlap of like, because of theater this is my mentality
1: right. right um yeah that's good so you you've obviously experienced some success this year <laughs> which we have to touch on it I don't want it to be your identity necessarily but it is something you should definitely be proud of obviously um yeah. it, it did you know you you mentioned that in in high school and I don't want you to elaborate um but you mentioned in high school that you didn't really uh, gel with the theater teacher. So I'm assuming your one-act play experience in high school was less than the normal Texas theater, you know, performing arts kid, right? Um, and I've said ad nauseum on this podcast that I too uh, had a very unique experience with one-act play. I just never competed. So um, I s- sort of understand the the side that you come from, but you have now experienced massive success uh, in one-act play how, how do you think you did that like you know because because you even mentioned the knowing who to, you know i don't want to get political about one act play but uh it might but i don't want you to get dragged into that mud but you mentioned <laughs> you you mentioned the the buttering up you know as a teacher in the school you know knowing that your your custodial staff and your maintenance and your bookkeeper are like the three main groups of people that you really need to have on your side, you know, who cares about the math teacher, but, um, maybe the coach, maybe the head coach, maybe throw them in there. But, um, but you know, there, there are elements of like knowing how to play the game, if you will, with one act play, uh, how did you kind of get your head around the, I don't want to use the F word, but I'll say it, the formula that is one act play so quickly and so dramatically successful?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, uh, I could, I could tackle this from a, from a number of ways. I feel like first and foremost, again, going back to that idea of, okay, I'm new to education, right? So instead of falling into the trap of imposter syndrome, let's just accept the fact that I'm new to education, but was chosen for this position and being trusted with this position. So what can I bring? that is uniquely me to this position, to this program, to this community, to this demographic that's going to give it kind of my stamp that that feels specific to who I am, right? So I definitely kept that in the back of my mind or even the forefront of my mind, I guess you can say. But what's been the biggest blessing is that the and it sounds like I'm trying to say this just for the sake of like saying it but I genuinely mean it it is astounding how supportive the administration upper administration and the high school administration is with my school district right. like they treat the fine arts as if it were sports which it is it's so exciting right. um i from an outsider's perspective i feel like it's very easy to think that like high school football runs texas but um the the Administration in Harlingen understands the importance of fine arts. and and they show that with um the the support that they provide financially and the facilities that were given and the opportunities that they provide not only the kids with, but through the kids with the adults, right? Um, so when I came to Harlingen, another big selling point for me was, the uh, the budgets that we were given for these productions at the conservatory level. I wasn't gonna come in feeling like, and I know there are teachers out there who do literally every single aspect of the one act play. And not only the one act play beyond that, the entire program, right? right. Like uh, fulfilling those responsibilities, like marketing and costumes and props and light it, literally everything that needs to get done when you're working on a show. I have had the luxury and the support of having people who fill those roles, right? So getting able to show up and do specifically like my job, which has been directing and um, choreographing um, some music direction here and there has been like such a luxury and such a privilege. And I am so grateful that that has been the case. And I think with that, I've been able to kind of Uh, finite my point of view, and directorial philosophies. Um, I've worked with some really incredible people. Like I said, Harlingen has a rich history of success. Uh, And so getting to work alongside those individuals within the fine arts community, I've learned a lot from those people. Um, Leanne Ince, again, my fine arts coordinator, um, knowing that I was newer to education, offered lots of advice from her time in the classroom, um, we have a resident artist who works within the district. His name is Damond Wilson. He's been yeah. a huge, huge inspiration as to my, uh, directorial point of view. He's taught me a lot about direction, a lot about life, a lot about, uh, people, a lot about making the most of every opportunity and finding the joy that comes with enjoying the process. Yeah. Um, he puts the the joy in that for sure. And so, yeah, I've just been really blessed to meet people that have offered, um, lots of great advice. Um, (laughs) lots of time for me to vent as I kind of unpacked and figured out what it was like to be, uh, not only a director, but a classroom teacher, one of my best friends, um, Johnny Joe who's currently at PSJA Southwest, he's had a lot of success in his 10 years of education as well. And so picking his brain, right? Because whether you want to say that it's a formula or not, there are in some ways when I play some, some things you need to hit in order to tell a cohesive story within 40 minutes. Um, So taking that and then, bedazzling it with my uh, artistic eye and personality and picking literature and material that I'm passionate about. And then I feel like you're my passion that gets the kids excited. Um, Yeah. It's kind of just like, it's been not easy by it's not when I, when I say it like this, it sounds like, Oh, it's just been easy and he's blessed. It's been hard. And there've definitely been highs and lows, but I do see that I'm very, very blessed yeah. to have met the people that have come my in my, in my um, corner and championed me and supported me and given me the means to thrive and to just do me, which is what I want to do for my kiddos too.
1: So this isn't a question. This is more speaking of buttering up. Uh, so I, I, through this process of this podcast and almost 200 interviews, uh, I've made lots of friends and connections in this business um and uh, a number of them i did not get to state because we had uh, a a large dance show happening at our school so i was unable to make it but uh which is a shame because you guys went up against uh, a school that i used to a district that i used to be in which was uh, kempner high school uh in in fort bend and a number of my friends went and saw 5a and thought all the shows were great but there was a difference in your show compared to the rest that was very uh clear and very uh just kind of slap in the face in a good way um uh and so i i guess i'm just uh giving you your 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 flowers uh and just saying you know congratulations on that uh, on just kind of the the word of mouth the network as you mentioned alluded to uh, a while ago with your um, you know sort of career path in New York but um, you must have done something Uh, and so I guess here's the question what was it about this show for you that you think connected so much uh, and it was indecent um, the show, not the show, <laughs> well the show title, <laughs> the show title, <laughs> the show title was Indecent, not the show. Um, But what do you think it was about Indecent that connected with you in order to be able to then get your kids to buy in and get just everything, all the ducks getting in a row and the, and the stars aligning so that you could have the show?
0: Yeah, so I saw, I was fortunate enough to see the original Broadway company in New York City. I was living there at the time. And when I saw the show, I knew nothing about it. And I just remember it finished, and I like sat in my seat. And it was one of those one of those moments where you think to yourself, like, "Wow, I just saw something really, really unique and really, really special." And it, it I thought about it for several weeks after seeing it. And then, learning about the original court case and the source material and how it was a true story. And I just went on a a loophole of research and I was obsessed with the show at the time, right? Um, Specifically the universality, which we'll get back to a little later. Um, Yes, so cut to I'm working in education. I, it's time to do one act play. We're looking for show titles, exploring different options. Um, I'm really big about taking a script and reading it with the kids before I select, make a final decision. I feel like in a number of ways, if the words fly off the page, you can tell, you can tell when you get the right show with the right group of kids. Um, And it had been a show that I'd wanted to present for UIL one act play and had tried to present my first year. but we, at the time, it wasn't being, oh, be, the, the playwright was not allowing it to be presented in that format. Um, so I got shut down in that way. And then, uh, fast forward to the following year, I tried again to see if, like, we could budge and make it happen. Um, it was a Gnar, once again. Um, and then... Cut to this year. There's like a lot of things going on. It was. It's always been on my radar. Like I said, I've been dying to do the show, and um, so many of the themes of censorship, um, specifically right now, right? Censorship. It's so prevalent. Um, LGBTQIA plus representation. Uh, the unfortunate uprise in anti semitic hate. Uh, The power of theater. There's so many, there's so many themes that are just so, so rich from a, from a literature perspective. Um, That's something that I was like really wanting to sink my teeth into as a director and really push myself. Uh, A lot of what the the way that I like to direct is I've done a lot of training and like viewpoints um, and Stanislavski and some Meisner work. So I, I like to think of everything from a very, think of everything from a very cohesive storytelling element from the way that we move, the, the direction that we move. I think of blocking almost as like choreography, right? I felt like the literature so, so uh, uniquely mirrored that, right? Even just reading the play, I was able to envision and dream up Um, ways that I wanted to bring this to life. So that always been a passion project and kind of a labor of love. And then it wasn't until this year when I read an article posted by Playbill.com that talked about a performing arts high school in Florida that was presenting indecent that ended up getting shut down right as it was about to open because of don't say gay laws in Florida. And so I was like, oh my gosh, like this so closely mirrors so much of what's happening in Texas right now, in our communities. This, this is our time, like this is the group, we need to make it happen. So we got together, we read the script for fun and flew right off the page obsessed. The kids were immediately obsessed with the play. I played the original Broadway cast recording for them obsessed. It it was just like, we were all getting so excited and so excited. And then we're like, well, wait, we have to still get permission to do this. So, um, I'd reach out to the publishing company this year. It was a little bit different. They told me to reach back out if UIL approved, um, a cutting. So I went through that process that got approved. I wrote a personalized letter to Paula Vogel (laughs) and uh kind of explaining to her our uh, the history of our program yes but more specifically and more importantly why we were so implored to do this piece of theater at this time i talked about how one act play or uil one act play is the biggest uh play festival in the world and how audiences specifically in texas needed to see the show and that we me as a director my team of directors we understood the themes Our children understood the themes and not only that, but the responsibility that came with it um, and that we were all in. We were so committed to this literature and to this story and it worked. (laughs) Uh, There's a line in the play uh, where Lemel, um, the stage manager, talks to Mr. Osh and tells him that. His words are powerful. So I I was, i just been reading the play so much and I poured so much of that um, eagerness and that mentality into uh, the statement that I presented. And she was um, kind enough to let us do her, her show, which was just like, I I still can't even fathom that we did this in Texas for UIL one act play and like got the reception that we did. I, um, we were met with, so much positive feedback and at every level of competition, people talked about how brave we were and how yeah. courageous we were for doing this show. And so I feel like the kids, this process has been so uniquely special, have taken away something bigger than this experience, than um, the UIL one I play process to, to hold on with them for the rest of their lives, I believe. And it's beautiful to see. And I feel like, I'm so blessed in the sense that my kind of point of view as a director has shifted so much from working on this show. I have an even clearer idea of the quality of work that I want to present from a thematic standpoint. Um, Being more and more passionate about political theater, not for the uh, sake of shock, but to uh, be again, practicing what you preach to be catalyst for change, right. To start those conversations, whether it's with one person, a community of people, a demographic of people. Um, yeah, it's just been, it's been so transformative and healing in so many ways.
1: That's cool. Yeah. I I could probably, I mean, I've got a million questions that I want to ask you about just, uh, kind of unpacking what you just talked about and then also just the process itself but (laughs) i like i think it's just a it's one of these txcta or thespian conversations where we sit down and just have a chat because um i'm very curious about uh, there's a lot of uh buzz i guess if you will on you know when paula took over and not 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 slandering louise in any way uh but there's only one person in that job and one person can only do so much. But uh, the amount of attention that the Valley uh, was not getting through TXETA, through thespians, through the UIL process and things like that, and just the amount of energy and positivity and storytelling and talent that comes from these kind of underserved areas of the state and the state is you know it's it's not Rhode Island you can't get to from one side to the other in a couple of hours it's you know it logistically it's difficult to get people in these areas uh, to kind of assist with things but it sounds like based on the now 55 minutes you and I've been chatting um, you kind of have a good grasp being from the area and kind of knowing what's needed uh, as to how to sort of turn this into a little bit of a volcano, if you will, um, and figure out how to get that recognition, bring the spotlight to it. I just used a lot of metaphors, but uh, <laughs> you know. But it, it sounds like you just have a really good energy and 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 uh, direction to get. What it what is needed in these kind of underserved areas, at least, and I don't wanna say underserved from all directions, but you know, uh, underserved at least from a performing arts standpoint as far as the entire state of Texas is concerned. Because um, we hear all about Houston and Dallas and Austin and a little bit of San Antonio, but you don't hear a lot about uh, Harlingen and El Paso even, and, and you know, these, these places that are just geographically difficult to get to. Um, but it sounds like you're bringing your energy up and we uh need to now match that and, and kind of I don't want to say bring our energy down bring it geographically down uh mm-hmm. to 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 you guys um so yes, good
0: there's so, there's so much amazing theater yeah. happening not just in Harlingen but across the Rio Grande Valley and it's been like it's been the biggest joy of my life thus far to be a part of this like as you said this um, this like conversation starter of like, oh wait, there's some really cool things going on there. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah, a lot of the inspiration that I get is from a lot of these other directors who are doing the same work that I'm doing in terms of trying to put the RGV on the map. And I feel like have been so successful in doing so i mean this year alone at our bi-district contest there were three state schools already yeah. competing so like the, the the theater is popping off in the Rio grande valley and i i implore more people to come to come check it out um even outside of the uil one-act play circuit it's like we've started i did do my research i know um that you started kind of like a uh performing art like a award what, show uh, award yeah, yes yeah, award show yeah. so it's something very similar to that called the palm awards which celebrates theater and musical theater in the Rio Grande Valley. And it's, there's just, oh, it's, it's overwhelming the the talent here yeah. in the Rio Grande Valley. And I think the biggest, the, the, the most unique thing is like, because these kids were talented before yeah. all of us and they're <laughs> going to continue to be talented after. I think what's been so special for me is to tell my kids like, Hey, like wake up. What you need to understand is like, the world is just waiting for you to get up and like open your mouth and sing a song or tell a story or engage with us and and give them a reason to know who you are, to ask where you're from. Um, Because yeah, and I I try to prepare my students with that mindset of like, because once you leave here, that's all it's going to be. Like there's so much, there's been so many times in my life where I felt not necessarily that I have to prove myself, but just like, Claim my space. Um, coming, being up from a marginalized group of people, right? Um, so the sooner that they can understand that, wrap their wrap their mind around that, and then go full force. It's like, okay, let's see, let's see what we
1: can do. <laughs> Minor wisdom.